You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 251. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. I just got back from San Diego. I was on the red-eye flight last night, uh, and uh, I came in this morning, so I am pretty tired today. Uh, there's no way around it. Uh, I was actually working on my cousin's political campaign out there for about four days. That's uh, Jordan Marks for San Diego County Assessor. Uh, I hadn't done a political campaign in in a long time, and I actually learned a lot, both about the democratic process, which is going to fit in well with today's event, uh, today's main event, I think, uh, which actually occurred before I went to San Diego, uh, this debate coming up. Uh, but uh, but nevertheless, maybe when we discuss it afterwards, we'll, 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 we'll talk about my actual experience with, uh, with the democratic process. And also, you know, campaigns more generally, it was a lot of fun. You know, we, we did, we sent out a bunch of texts and, uh, you know, to have an ice cream social and, you know, you'd send out 4,000 texts to like people in, uh, in, in a certain neighborhood or in a certain town and people would show up to ice cream and it'd be a good time. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and there were so many different, uh, different like types of community groups that, uh, that, that, that we go and see. You kind of you kind of visit people from all different slices of the community. I kind of like that aspect of it. Uh, but anyway, I also think that the, came, the, uh, the campaign uh, more generally, it kind of gave me ideas or, or maybe inspiration to kind of find more people who would benefit from the local maximum, from this podcast. Uh, and so it, it kind of makes me want to reach out to more of you, the listeners, uh, which I haven't done in a while um, for, well, I, for reasons of uh, uh, <laughs> difficulties uh, that I got uh, kind of off track. But uh, uh, I'm going to be doing more of that as we close out 2022. So if you're on one of my lists, prepare to be reached out to at some point. So, all right, not so much technology today. There's a little bit of public choice theory or social choice theory which is mathematics of, of politics, which we've covered in the past. Uh, I'm going to play a public debate I did recently at The Shell here in New Hampshire, which uh, The Shell is in Rollinsford. It's about an hour drive from, from where I am now. And the debate topic pit monarchy versus democracy, not really something that we, uh, we rehash very often uh, in, in popular culture here in the U.S., uh, and it was my job to defend democracy uh, the best that uh, the best that I can. So you might find this interesting, particularly if you're all hyped up about the elections this week. Uh, you know, I know, uh, I know, I'm going to vote tomorrow. I'm not going to pressure anyone to vote. You know, whatever. I'm not on. I'm not on duty. I'm not on the campaign trail. Uh, but uh, you know, if you're all hyped up about, about the election, maybe this uh, episode will help you zoom out a little bit. Um, before we get started, I just want to say the debate was a really incredible experience. It really forced me to think about why I believe what I believe, and just uh, take note, this is the kind of a mostly libertarian audience, so I think I would have used the same arguments in different contexts, but I would have placed different emphasis if it were a bunch of uh, tech Democrats back in New York, or if it was some kind of royalist society. Uh, I don't even think we have any royalist societies here in the U.S. Uh, probably they have them in Europe, in some kind of like monarchy restoration club. I, I don't know how I would how I would approach it if I were if I were doing it with them, uh, but but uh, but yeah, just a little context. So 
I hope you enjoy. And in a few episodes from now, I think we can discuss how I did, where I could have been better. Uh, there are definitely some questions that came up that I, I feel like I could have better answers for. So let's not waste any more time. It's a long one. Let's pull it up. Yeah. All right. Lots of new faces in the crowd tonight. I'd like to welcome everyone to um, the Live Free and Debate series. Uh, my name is Frank Natale. I'll be the moderator for t uh, tonight's debate. Uh, it's, we've been on a bit of hiatus, so I'm glad we're back up and uh, in getting into the swing of things. A um, little, uh, little bit about tonight's debate. It's Oxford style, so thank you for everyone that took time to vote before the debate. Um, the layout of the debate will be 15 minutes openings for each uh, participant, followed by seven-minute rebuttal. And then a 30-plus Q&A. I like to open it up to the floor and uh, really encourage uh, questions. Don't preface your question with a five-minute opening monologue. <laughs> and then we'll give, a, give each participant about five, seven minutes for a closing. Um, again, the resolution is monarchy is better than representative democracy. Uh, for the affirmative, we have Elliot Alu Axelman. He's a paramedic, author, speaker, liberty activist, and polyethylene. He has been volunteering and working in EMS since 2011. In 2014, he graduated number one in his paramedic class at St. John's University. Currently, Alu is a critical care and flight certified paramedic, FTO, and teaches EMTs and paramedics at local institutions from time to time. Alu currently serves as the president of the Foundation for the New Hampshire Independence, uh, a nonprofit educational organization dedicated to informing New Hampshire citizens about the benefits of independence from the DC Empire. Alu is a frequent speaker at Liberty events, GOP meetings, and other political conferences. Alu identifies as a voluntarist, and I believe this is Alu's third time on the Live Free and Debate stage. Making his debate debut uh, here tonight. For the negative, we have uh, Max Sklar. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> the Local Maximum is hosted and produced by Max Sklar. Uh, Max is a software engineer and new product developer uh, by trade with a focus on machine learning, Bayesian inference, content discovery, and prototyping. Max has spoken at a variety of conferences and universities, including the ACM Conference on Recommender Systems, uh, the Cambridge Workshop on Urban Data Science, and TalkAbot 2016. He also taught a course on Bayesian thinking at the Live Data Science Summer School. He holds a master's, de master's degree from NYU in Information Sciences and a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science from uh, Yale. He is a former board member of the Yale Alumni Service Corps and led a volunteer trip to the Fort Mojave Indian Reservation back in October 2017. So, gentlemen, let's get started. Did we have the tally? Yes. yes. <laughs> I haven't done this before. Yeah, just kidding. Is that door open for people who come in? Yeah, they'll be able to come in. Sorry. We've been off for four months, so just. <laughs> so, the pre debate voting. Uh, those agreeing with the resolution at 31.6%, those disagreeing, 31.6%, and the undecided, 368 So it really is anybody's game. I'll use whatever excuse I want, Max. Good evening, and thank you for coming. I'm Alu Axelman. I hope tonight, throughout this debate, to convince you all, or at least create enough doubt in democracy's uh, perfection, that it's not a good system. In fact, it's not even the eye of the tiger. It's, 
that it is possibly the worst system. I would say specifically representative democracy is possibly the worst way to organize a government. Of course, a, a pure Marxist-style authoritarian dictatorship like North Korea is probably worse. But what I hope to convince you all today, using evidence that, well, definitely worse. But I hope to convince you all that currently what we have in the United States is a representative democracy. And I'll get to the constitutional republic thing in a minute. And we are headed towards North Korea at light speed. I think everyone agrees that within a few years, five, ten years, we're going to look something like the Chinese-style CCP venture socialist kind of system with a uh, surveillance autocracy, communism, with some capitalism, and, and maybe even further towards communism like North Korea, which doesn't enjoy kind of the markets and some of the freedom that China has. So we're headed towards North Korea in our style, in, in our current form of government. Now, I, I wrote an article on Liberty Block a few years ago explaining that those who say that we're a democracy, like brilliant people like Alexandria Cortez, who, by the way, is my hometown. My father is a congressperson now. Um, so Cortez and other geniuses say we're a democracy. We got to save this democracy from those insurrectionists like you, um, you know, all the, the crazy insurrectionists. We have to save our democracy. Um, she's so dumb that she's gone full circle and been smart, and she's right. We are a democracy. But what I, what I said in the article is the, the smart people who think they're smart, the pedantic people, say – AOC, listen, honey, we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic um, with some you know, democratic elements. We vote for legislators. But we're a constitutional republic in that certain things are off limits. We have constitutional protections here in this great country of America where certain things are off limits, like the Bill of Rights, um, the First Amendment, freedom of assembly and speech and religion and all that stuff. And the Second Amendment, we have the right to bear arms without being infringed at all, no exceptions. And the Fourth Amendment and so on. And we all know that the Bill of Rights totally protects us. We have no gun laws in the United States, right? What's that? We do? We have a few million? Okay, all right. I'm sorry I was mistaken. We do have a few million um, gun laws, and the ATF passes new gun laws every day without legislation. And the same with the Fourth Amendment. I just wrote a book about the Fourth and Fifth Amendment, how they're violated notoriously ad infinitum uh, millions or billions of times. So the point of that is that the Bill of Rights actually does not protect us. So the theory, and I hope I explained this right, the theory of the Bill of Rights and the constitutional republic system as opposed to representative democracy is that in a, represent a pure representative democracy, all of the decisions are made by the democratic people voting for the legislators and they make all decisions. The reason why, again, the pedantic people, not totally smart but not totally dumb like AOC, the pedantic people who think that they're constitutional scholars, they say we're not a democracy, we're a constitutional republic because certain things are off limits. We're not, it's not, open to the democratic element of the lawmaking process, even if you, you have 100% of voters voting for legislators and the House and Senate are run by a party that wants to abolish guns, in our great country, certain things are off limits. But the actual facts, like the facts that gun laws exist, and plenty of other violations of, of constitutional rights exist, and the courts and legislatures and all that have said that it's totally fine, they're legitimate, they're constitutional, that evidence shows that we are not Effectively, in practice, we are not a constitutional republic where certain things are off limits, cannot be touched and violated by the democratic process, meaning elected people, people who are voted for, legislators. Um, so that's why we're not a, not a democracy, but we're also not a constitutional republic. It's gone full circle to we are pretty much a pure democracy, but even worse, and I'll explain why. If we were actually a pure democracy, and that's why I made sure that the debate official, uh, the resolution. official resolution, thank you, was not democracy, was specifically representative democracy. 
a lot of people say democracy is mob rule, and they're right. Democracy, it's, it's essentially no difference between mob rule. But if we actually had what, what I used to uh, oppose, which is a pure democracy without representatives, meaning every single person vote on every single law, it would actually be better than our current system. Again, everyone take a second, close your eyes, and think of the system that we currently have. We have, you know, uh, four million agents robbing us of half of our income, you know, millions of bureaucrats and stealing more of our liberties every day. And, and we're going to look, again, very similar to China or North Korea within a few years. There's no debate about that. So currently, it's, it's not really working. So that's, that's what we have. Um, in a pure democracy where every person votes on every single individual law, not voting for A or B legislator. Do you love everything about Balduck or Hassan? You got to choose one. Oh, well, I like certain things. Nope, you got to choose one. It's binary. So binaryism, and throughout the debate, I'm going to make the case that binaryism, which we've been driven to because the parties, and that's just the way the system is. There are two parties. The alternative is worse because the third party really does spoil it, and none of them three have exactly what you like. Of, there are around 100 major issues, at least for me, and probably everyone here. There are 100 very important issues. Gun rights, taxes, education, surveillance, um, economic freedoms, so many. War, tons of very important issues. So what do I do if Balduck supports is in line with me on 63% in a good way, and Hassan agrees with me on 45% but very strongly, but opposed, she's the opposite of me in 20% of them, and Balduck is opposed to me on 16% of them. What do I do? I have no one who really represents me. In a pure democracy, it would be better because every individual in the United States can vote their exact will on every issue. For instance, cannabis would be totally legalized throughout the United States. Federal law or states or individual states doesn't matter. There are things that are responsible. Was that a warning? So how much time do I have left? All right, thanks. So if we could all vote on every single issue, we'd vote for probably more police accountability, no federal qualified immunity, asset forfeiture, eminent domain. We'd have cannabis being legal. We'd have probably not so many wars. These are things that are very unpopular, but because we have to vote for the binary legislators, Republican and Democrat, two sides, two wings of the same bird, that's what really screws us. So it's gotten so bad that I would say, years ago I would have said it's mob rule, but now I would say pure democracy would put us in a way better position than we're in currently. So that's why I said representative democracy is, it really is like the worst of the worst, the total worst of, of almost all the systems. I have a, a bunch of other points here. Um, obviously, before, before I even started, I should have mentioned, I'm a voluntarist. I don't think the government really should exist. If it has to exist, it should be really, seriously, just the protection of life, liberty, and property. Nothing more. Not going into our homes and making sure we're healthy or you know, educating our kids for 26 years, and if we don't, they call CPS on us. Um, they should do nothing more than protecting life and liberty. Um, and here's the thing about the Declaration of Independence, which preceded the Constitution. So for those who love the Constitution, which I don't anymore, the Declaration is what made it even a possibility, because first we had to declare the divorce, and then we could make our new arrangements. So first you have to divorce. So, so to say that the Declaration is not quite a legal document like the Constitution, I understand that, but it kind of is the divorce. So to say the divorce was never legitimate, and then you're remarrying, that doesn't really make sense. So you have to recognize the legitimacy of the divorce. So I hope that makes sense. The Declaration said that the government is created among people to preserve life, liberty, and property, and the proceeds of happiness. Now, think about this. So, so the government, the federal government was created for a purpose, to protect those natural rights, life, liberty. And do they protect them? No. They don't protect our life and liberty. You know, people still die. They don't protect our liberty. Um, we still have many violations. Like I said, probably millions or billions of violations of liberty. And who is the biggest threat to our lives and liberty and property and pursuit of happiness and our natural rights? It is the government. So they were, uh, they were hired, essentially, as our bodyguard. And not only do they not protect us, they are literally the biggest attackers. They're the ones beating us up. 
if I had a bodyguard I paid every year on a contractor every month and he was not protecting me and, and you know, wandering off, but if he was beating me up, I would probably not rehire him. So that's why, and that's what the declaration says. So the government's supposed to do one thing, but because of the representative democracy that we have in our system, and we have the binaryism, we have to make a binary choice, that's why it's gotten so bad. A few other points that I'll get to throughout the debate, I'm sure we'll have a chance in rebuttals and Q&As, is I think if I'm going to say representative democracy is essentially the worst way to form a government, um, and yes, North Korea would, would be probably worse than the average democracy, but the alternative tonight that we're debating is monarchy. Um, some of the benefits of monarchy, obviously I'm not a big fan of any dictator rule, not a big fan of the queen, I didn't cry much when she died. Um, monarchy is better for a few key reasons in, in some interesting ways. For instance, in democracy, almost everyone spends, besides for you crazy anarchists and libertarians, most people, or a lot of people, spend money and time on elections. They, they knock doors. I know some people here are knocking doors and donating money and time and energy, a lot, a lot of time and energy on democracy, on, you know, vote for me or vote for my guy, vote for one side. I have friends who are telling me, you know, vote for Baldock, vote for Hassan. Not a lot of my friends vote for Hassan, but, but friends who are, who are really spending time and energy and money. Um, so it's, it's, it's wasted, if you just look at you know, uh, GDP or productivity, someone maybe could quantify how much is wasted on you know, electioneering, all that stuff. Do we spend um, billions of dollars or a trillion dollars nationally or um, a million man hours? Whatever it is, it's a certain amount. It's a substantial amount of time and energy and lost productivity in just fighting each other over, the, again, that binary choice. But it's not just that. It's the division. It makes us hate them. A poll came out, I think, uh, a day or two ago, NBC hired some big, big uh, polling firm, and they found that when asked Democrats and Republicans about the other, do you believe that – they asked Republicans, do you believe Democrats are going to totally destroy the country, totally attack it and destroy everything good about the United States and what makes it America if they win the majority in Congress? And 80 percent of both sides, like 79 to 81 percent, said yes, the other side. If they get control of the Congress, they will destroy this country, totally destroy everything, and it won't be worth living in anymore. So again, we, we know that we have a lot of polls about the division. I've written five books about it. Um, there's a lot of division, and we fight each other. And again, that's the democratic system. Now, think of a monarchy. In a monarchy, in general, all is being equal. There are some wars. You know, some few million get beheaded here and there. But but overall, there's there's essentially unity. In general, when there's a monarchy, number one, there's unity, and some may or may not like it, and there's classes, and maybe some peasants. But overall, people at least they know who their king is. Um, except for the last episode of House of the Dragon. There's no dispute about who's the king. Uh, in general, people know he's the king, they know their place, and they're not spending a ton of time and energy in general, like we are with electioneering with, with a democracy like we have. So there's, again, all that lost productivity, but also there's clarity. And I think there's some value in clarity in knowing who the ruler is and knowing where people stand. Another big point that I think I heard only a few days ago or I thought about um, is a, a monarch is essentially the... The government is essentially a steward. I think we'd all agree. They're a steward of the, the republic, the nation, the populace, the society. Um, what kind of steward takes better care of their property? If you imagine you have a house. If you own a house that you are 99% sure you're going to pass down to your kid and then their kid, or someone renting for a year. I've seen people, the way they treat rental uh, apartments and vehicles. In my line of business, people treat it like a rental because they're employees. They drive company vehicles. They treat them like crap. At 30,000 miles, the vehicle's dying in every way at like 30,000 miles, because they treat them like crap. They don't have any stake in it. Monarchies, in, almost invariably, are passed down to their child and the next child. So they, they have a lot more incentive to think long-term, to preserve a good, healthy republic and not abuse people too much and not destroy their republic. Whereas a democracy, people, yeah, there are some dynasties. We know, you know, Sununu, Bush, Cheney, all the dynasties, but, but still nowhere near the same amount of lineage 
and investment, the stake they have in the government, because they're not passing it down directly. They're, in fact, they're in office for two years or four years, or maybe you know four years, six years, and then you get a billion-dollar job as lobbyist to retire to Martha's Vineyard and enjoy their time with their rich friends and with their uh, immigrants, and you know that's all. So they don't have quite the stake in, in the long-term prosperity and health and, and unity of the republic. So th those are a bunch of reasons, and I think I'll leave it there for now. I'm looking forward to how he could defend democracy. I'm not going to call him a statist, Daniel. That's, a, that's a so rude. But um, I, I'm looking forward to, to how you could defend democracy, because it is mob rule. And, and what, I, what I had here as my opening statement, which I haven't looked at, is, is at, at best, democracy is mob rule. At worst, democracy is really just oligarchy with extra steps. Um, and, and we convince ourselves, and another, th another meme I want to bring up is there's a meme where it's a, a baby, like a three-year-old toddler in the backseat of a car with a steering wheel, it's a toy, and he thinks he's driving. He really thinks he's controlling it, you know. And, and that's the issue with democracy. We think, you know, we are the government, we have control, they represent us. And it's, whereas at least a king, like, again, I don't want kings, I'm a voluntarist, but at least you know, he's the king, I'm the peasant, I know my place, I'm a serf. With democracy, I'm a voter, they, they're public servants, they work for me, and it gets, it gets all unclear. And again, clarity, I think, is extremely important when organizing a government and society. So we'll leave it there. I'm looking forward to hearing his arguments and rebuttals and questions. Thank you very much. All right. This is going to be a lot of fun. The sound's on. All right. Thank you uh, so much for having me today. Um, we all... Everyone in this room wants many of the same things out of our political system. If we must have a political system, we want a large degree of personal freedom. We want nice communities. We want a bustling free market where property rights are secure and we're all prosperous and, and full of opportunity. Uh, we don't want the state or the government to have too much control over our lives. So how are we most likely to be able to achieve this? Uh, I think some of you in the audience think that the answer is anarchy. How many anarcho-capitalists are in the audience? Oh my God, probably like 30%. All right, well, I've got some bad news today uh, you, because uh, your preferred system is not on the menu. Uh, but uh, what else is new? I, I sympathize. Uh, in today's debate, we are assuming that there is a state, uh, which is a monopoly on legal violence in the country, and we get to choose the form of government. Uh, our individual liberty today is under attack. Uh, something has clearly gone wrong with our government and our political system, and many believe that we need to make radical changes. Uh, some of you might even begin to question democracy itself as the culprit. But I would encourage you not to fall into the trap of blaming the problems on something that just happens to be there. Uh, representative democracy is not the cause of or at the root of our problems, uh, many of which have come up more recently, and I'll show you why a monarchy will introduce many problems on its own, which would likely be as bad or worse than the ones we're facing today. Uh, th there might also be many people in the audience who are thinking, you know, as people I've spoken to about this, who could possibly want to resurrect a monarchy? What planet are you coming from? And so I say to you, Keep an open mind, uh, and uh, it'll make your belief stronger, but I hope to pull you back in by the end, and you'll see that uh, jumping ship to monarchy is not the way to go. So let's start with the historical record. Here in the US, we've had some form of representative democracy since declaring independence. Uh, before that, we were a colony, but uh, in New England, you know, the crown was distant. We had democratic councils and elected legislatures making most of the decisions locally. So here in New Hampshire, uh, we have been practicing, at least on the local level, 
some form of representative democracy for nearly 400 years. And that's enough time to draw some conclusions. Uh, if democracy really drains the resources and capital of society, you know, you'd think we'd be doing a whole lot worse today. Where are the monarchies that have outperformed us on this, uh, on this time scale? Uh, if democracy is some kind of ball and chain drag in our society, then it isn't much of one. Um, Alu mentioned that uh, there's no debate that we're heading towards a, a China-style uh, 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 dictatorship in six years. I don't. I think there's a lot of debate. I don't know. <laughs> we've been here. For, we, we've had this form of government for 600 years. We've we've gone off, off track and, and refounded and all that. Uh, so the historical record also seems to show that there is a connection between free enterprise and democratic societies, at least in modern times. Capitalism may have flourished in Europe in small city-states that were monarchies, but it seems like if you want freedom, you could have small states that, are, that compete with each other or a democracy. It can't have a large state that's a monarchy. It tends towards state control of the economy, and if the monarchist argument is correct, you'd expect to see that reversed. The starkest example is the Koreas, which, by the way, North Korea has turned itself into a monarchy, and we're often told that it's a communist capitalist natural experiment, which it is, but you know, they started with a similar culture, and the Kims in the North have tended toward monarchy from dictatorship, uh, while the South tended toward parliamentary democracy, even though um, when the South split off, it was actually quite uh, authoritarian. So uh, another example is uh, modern Western European democracies versus the Russian Empire, where the side that clung to monarchy the hardest became a communist dictatorship, and the side with liberal democracy, however imperfect, had uh, far more freedom and prosperity. So the line between monarchy and communism is more direct than you might think. Uh, but what about before modern times? Successful societies uh, in ancient times had some form of democratic government. Uh, famously, the, the Greeks and, and some elements of the Roman Republic uh, in the medieval era, Scandinavia, which was very successful, had parliaments, uh, sometimes called the things or all thing. Uh, some of the Renaissance city-states had elements of democracy. And the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was uh, an aristocracy of lords, but they had a parliament, uh, which, is a, which is a democratic institution, and it was a more open society while it lasted. All of these places had problems, but not worse than the mo uh, monarchies around them. So now let's go back to the ancient Greeks, they recognized three forms of government, each with an ideal state and each with a degenerate state, and they were always turning it into one another. They were monarchy, which is tyranny when it goes bad, aristocracy, which is oligarchy when it goes bad, and democracy, which is mob rule when it goes bad. The lesson that the Greeks took away from this, and I think it's a lesson that we do well to learn today, is that every form of government, uh, in fact, every form of human organization, can be subverted by self-interested or incompetent parties. There, there is no perfect alignment of incentives. There is no perfect constitutions, only trade-offs. Uh, this is seen in the business world as well. Uh, recently on the Michael Malice podcast, You're Welcome, venture capitalist Mark Andreessen said, it turns out that those forms of government are also the way companies themselves are run. You actually have companies that are run like monarchies and tyrannies and aristocracies and oligarchies and democracies and occasionally anarchies. Uh, companies are political organizations like everything else. He goes on to assert that Twitter is in its anarchy phase, by which I think he meant uh, mob rule phase. So uh, democracies do have failure modes. We might be experiencing several right now. We are experiencing several right now. But monarchies also fail. Democracies, you know, you think, oh, we can cede power to an oligarchy like a deep state. But uh, in, in a monarchy, this group only has to control a single person. So whether that's the ruling class of Versailles before the French Revolution or the Praetorian Guard in the Roman Empire, 
The Merovingian kings of France saw, saw their power diminished over time compared to other state actors, and they ultimately lost their throne. So monarchy has some of the same problems as democracy, but there are additional problems that are specific to monarchies that I, that I have to warn you about. Early 20th century Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises pointed out that monarchies of Europe had this really big problem with wars of succession. It is a real problem. Who is the rightful monarch? And uh, he said this before House of Dragon came out, and he said this also before that other show came out that's actually called Succession. Uh, people find succession worth violence and war because if their chosen person wins, uh, they win or lose for life. I have this long list of wars of succession here, you know, uh, millions dead, Spain had them every like couple decades it seems, so uh, it, it, it got really bad, and, and, and they were frequent. Uh, so Mises points to democracy as significantly reducing war by better handling of the succession problem. Even if you don't like the outcome of an election, you're better off mounting a campaign or becoming politically active than fighting a war. Uh, so now we get to the argument that Monarchs are an owner and not a temporary caretaker, so they will have uh, better long-term incentives. So first I ask, you know, wh what is this incentive? What is the monarch actually optimizing? Is this like the optimization that a farmer has for the animals on the farm? Is the best that we can hope for to become farm animals? They'll need to feed us and, and milk us and breed us up to a point. And then after that, they'll work us to the bone rather than just sacrificing us right at the beginning. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> You might be saying, well, if I were king, I'd want a dynamic, open, free society where people have the right to live and, and work the way they want because that's what's best for the long term. But I'm not so sure we're going to get someone so open-minded. Uh, at least in a democracy, there is a way to fight back. Well, also, this, this long-term incentive argument over-optimizes. Uh, doing a good job requires more than just economic incentive. It requires competence. It requires desire. It requires discipline, and most importantly in this case, it requires a lot of trial and error, error uh, which can only occur in the marketplace of ideas and, and the marketplace of organizations. So if you're not oriented to care about certain things, uh, like what happens in 100 years, then economic incentives don't work. And there are lots of examples of, uh, of monarchs that were incompetent or just didn't care. And occasionally, uh, you know, people find themselves engaged in, in self-destructive behaviors. It's part of being human, and this doesn't change if you wear a crown or if you become a billionaire. So the argument gets even worse when the incentives are far into the future. You know, humans really struggle to look just a few years ahead. Uh, no one is good at looking decades, not to mention centuries ahead. If you dispute that, think about your own job. The fact is that you're usually not presented with two decisions like, A, we'll rob your country blind right now and have a party, or B, this is the long-term key to success. You know, if you've ever done business strategy or technology strategy, you know it, sometimes it's hard to say. And running a government is a lot like that. It's a, it's a complex system. So the government needs to decide things like, which countries should we ally ourselves with? Uh, what kind of treaties should we sign? Uh, how should we allocate our infrastructure budget? Uh, none of these decisions are going to change based on who the kingdom passes to in 50 years. And one of the examples I, I gave, which I can give, uh, you know, um, when, uh, because, because it looks like I have five minutes, is like, you know, imagine that you have this exam that you're gonna take in, in a month, and you're told that if you do well on this exam, which you think you might be able to do, uh, you're gonna get a, a million dollars. You say, okay, great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, stop what I'm doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up every day and be like, okay, how could I prepare for this exam? Maybe I'll hire tutors. I'll get some, I'll get some good rest. And that's the best I can do. 
Okay, then we tell you, okay, now you're gonna, now you're gonna make a billion dollars. Okay, what else can you do? I mean, you know, all you could do is uh, you could stress out more, uh, but at some point there's only so much you can do. And, you know, I strongly believe in, in incentives when it comes to economics. Like if you have a test where you make a billion dollars, it's going to attract a lot more test takers than, than, than if you have a million dollars. You have more people passing, but, uh, you know, it, on an individual level, it might not change the, uh, it, it, it's not going to, not going to change the behavior. So you really have to have someone who's going to wake up and say, okay, this is my duty to do the best job. This is my responsibility, uh, not thinking about uh, you know, how much money they're going to make. Uh, so what does it really take to be a good executive leader? CEOs are often not the owner of their companies, but even among the ones who are, this is temporary. After a certain level of incentives, it really comes down to motivation, duty, and discipline. For these leaders to do a good job, it's good for them to be low time preference person, but they also need to feel like they have a duty to the company and to the shareholders. Are they actually able to control their own psychology and keep their cool in tough situations? And even if a leader does well, they often need to be replaced anyway because they have a perfectly reasonable strategy and it just didn't work out. And, and leaders often accumulate lots of past decisions and it's hard for them to go back on these decisions. And sometimes the company needs to bring in someone who thinks completely differently. And, th and that's when the board, the oligarchy in charge, replaces their CEO. So oftentimes the whole organization needs to be replaced as well. We need a competitive system to do this, to replace, the state, uh, to, to replace stale old organizations uh, with newer dynamic ones. This is the process of creative destruction. It prevents the accumulation of errors and the staleness of ideas, and it's one of the most important ingredients for prosperity and freedom. Monarchy just throws this all away. Uh, ironically, this makes democracy more stable in the long run because it prevents the descent into a single ideology. You know, sometimes monarchists like to paint their rulers as objective and practical, but in reality, large mo monarchies usually develop these kind of god-king-type ideologies. So in democracy, when a political party continually doubles down on its bullshit ideas, eventually they'll be uh, replaced, they'll get flushed down the proverbial toilet of history. So to conclude, a, a democratic system also has a key feature of a Congress or a parliament, needs to talk about that. It's not just an elected dictatorship. Uh, it makes sure that the constituencies in all parts of the country are represented. Uh, there is evidence that group decision-making in, in these circumstances tends to be better because they gather data from a diverse array of sources. And even if the monarch has advisors, uh, they have incentives to, to hide information. It's a very big problem in, in dictatorships. Um, in representative democracies, there's, there's a lot more transparency. So we do need to watch out for the shortcomings of democracy. Our monetary system has encouraged fiscal responsibility, especially since the 1970s. Our, our entitlement budget is hard to tame. The idea uh, for our entitlement system came from monarchist Germany, by the way. Uh, and our unelected administrative state is increasingly powerful. But when viewed over the course of history, representative democracy looks like the way to go. If I were starting over, particularly here in New England, given you know, our, our culture and our situation, I, I might make some changes to the constitutional structure, but it would still be a form of representative democracy. Thanks. All right. He mentioned that uh, historically monarchies, you know, I think he said, where are the monarchies that are bastions of freedom right now? There are no monarchies. They've all become these great de democracies. Germany, France, Britain, they're all democracies now. And how are they doing? How is that working out? 
Less and less freedom every day, looking, yes, more like China and North Korea every day. Every, every country in the world. There are no monarchies. Uh, maybe Andorra technically has a prince. Maybe it's a tiny state, um, but still essentially functions like a parliament. Um, I looked around before the debate to look for examples of monarchies, see how they're doing. Yes, North Korea, I would say it's more of a dictatorship. Yes, you know, very similar to a monarchy, not necessarily a king. Um, and the dictatorship there is, is all effed up, and we don't know much about what's going on because they lock it down. Um, but there are no monarchies left. They've all transitioned. Put it this way. Over the last 100, 200, 300 years, all the real monarchies, England controlled, you know, England, Canada, Australia, and some other places, um, they've all transitioned to parliamentary system. The queen is essentially a figurehead with a few tiny duties, um, and, and almost everything is run by the British parliament. Um, and again, I would say that system is a little better than, than ours because they have, they have a, a prime minister that could be thrown out like this after 40 days. Imagine if we can get rid of Let's Go Brandon in 40 days, but they know they're there for four years. So th that system's kind of a little better. Um, but they've all transitioned to parliament and just look at, I guess, Britain 100 years ago or 200 years ago, whenever they had a, a monarchy that really had more power and no parliament. I don't know, Max is smart. He probably knows when the parliament came to be in Britain. Let's say it was 100 years ago. I guarantee they had more freedom than they do now. Right now, We've all seen the meme. Oh, you got a license for that TV. You need a license for a goddamn TV. You need a license for everything. Don't even think about having a gun or a knife. You, you can't have a knife. Um, they, they come around and confiscate them. So the monarchies that have become democracies, again, we think that's becoming civilized, but it's, it's the opposite. As monarchies transition to more parliamentary democratic systems where we vote for everything, the society gets ruined. Prosperity goes down the drain. Taxes increase to up over 40, 50, 60, 70 percent. In the cases of, of Denmark, again, uh, the, the monarchy, the kingdom of Denmark used to be more of a kingdom. Now I'm sure it's parliamentary. And again, now their effective tax burden is, is around 80, 90 percent in Denmark, I believe. So tremendous taxes. And, and overall, by the way, the, the social and economic freedoms, besides the taxes, Denmark, I believe, has more economic freedom than the United States, by the way. So, um, so they do some things better, although their taxes are like pretty close to 100 percent. But they overall probably have more freedom than we do. But Overall, the monarchies, as they transition, and again, just think where we are now, the United States. Not yet the Republic of New Hampshire, but we'll get there. But right now, right, look at 250 years ago, 1775, before we declared independence from Britain. I guarantee in almost every single way, in about 90% of ways, we had more freedom under King George III in 1770 than we have now. In fact, within a few years, they started losing the freedoms. Marbury v. Madison, then something else, and then FDR came along, the, gut, the NFA, Gun Control Act, and, and it's just been downhill from there. The monarch, I, I think most, most of the, the sources seem to say, every source I could find for the overall total tax burden, total taxes from every form of everything in 1770 was around 3%. They, they had no taxes on income. They had a few uh, just tariffs and one or two uh, uh, tiny window taxes for however many windows your, your house has. Um, very, very low. It was like one or two pence, which I did the math. was It was like in the range of, I think, like $8 a, a year or something. Very, very little. Very, very, very small tax. I think I did the math. Maybe the total taxes was, was 1% or 2%, but some say 3%. We'll give them that. Now, a few years ago, in 2016, my total effective tax burden living in New York with federal, state, and city taxes was 45% of my income. I was a struggling medic making 60 grand, to not in the high tax brackets or anything, but 45%, very close to that 50%, which is half slave, because 100% of income being stolen by the government means you're a slave. So look at the, obviously, surveillance. They didn't have technology you know, like we do now in 1770, but... The surveillance now versus 250 years ago. 
less freedom, less privacy. Look at economic freedom, educational freedom. You used to be able to homeschool without needing any uh, per- permits from the state and without state mandatory testing. And New Hampshire is relatively free in that arena, but most states, you can't really homeschool unless the uh, governor gives you some, some big approval. It's very hard to homeschool your kids legally. So overall freedoms, we have a lot less. And I don't think it's even up, up for debate that we have less freedom now than we had under King George. Again, a monarchy, he was bad. We rebelled. And I learned in first grade we rebelled because he was a tyrant and taxation without representation. And I'll get to representation if I have time. So overall, I would say the monarchies have transitioned to democracy and, and they've, they've diminished freedom in, in every example. Now, you mentioned that democracy allows you know the people to, to have a say and we're represented and all that. I, I wrote a long article a few years ago um, and I've included those, those arguments in my books. We are not represented. We're totally not. If you think about it, again, the binaryism, the way it works is there's a primary and there's either two or more candidates, sometimes five or 10 or, or 17 in 2016 for the presidency. Um, and, and of those, obviously with 17 candidates, someone getting three or 4% could win the primary, um, but whatever. Then in the general, everyone has that binary choice again. And you have to vote for the lesser of two evils, which it is what it is, for better or for worse, that's how it goes. And what happens is the only people who affirmatively support that person were those who voted for them in the primary. Um, if you look at Chris Christie, the dictator of New Jersey for eight years, when he ran for re-election, that was 3% of the people. And I think I think only 4% of the voters. But And that was only a two-way primary. If it were like a five-way, he would have gotten like 1% of the people in New Jersey affirmatively supporting him. He won the primary, barely. He won the general, barely. And he was dictator, king, almost like a monarch, king, for four years in New Jersey. And, and by the end of it, he was one of the most hated governors, but I think he was termed out anyway. Then he went on to do um, bigger and better stuff and run for president and keep being dictator. So you could win elections with, three, with uh, 3% in the primary. And I, I've seen, I think it was actually in... in Wyoming or Montana, somewhere in the Mountain West, where someone won with 15% in the general election, I believe, because they had like five candidates. Um, and again, that's how we, it's plurality, not a majority. So you could win with very little. And if you could have a few buddies run as well, so you have three or four candidates, you can win. It's scary. You could win with, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20% of the vote. But even best case scenario, let's say um, like Maggie Hassan and Shaheen, they didn't get 51%. They got, I think, 49 and 46% of the vote. That's BS. And that's only those who vote. Because remember, around 50, 60, 70% don't vote. One of the biggest turnout elections before this fraudulent one, I mean, before this election, sorry, YouTube, um, before 2020, one of the, the biggest turnouts was 2016. Guess what? 25% of the people, eligible voters, people, adults, voted for uh, Trump and about 25% voted for Clinton. 50% essentially voted NODA, and you libertarians know what that means. 50% of registered voters essentially voted against them both, voted I don't want either of them. So again, it's tremendous. So with 25% of the vote versus 25.001, we're saying Clinton and Trump have a mandate? That's BS. So I'm out of time, but those are only you know two of the reasons, and hopefully later I'll have opportunity and questions to discuss more of the reasons why we're totally not represented at all. The representative democracy thing is BS. So thank you very much. I'm looking forward to questions. All right. So a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, I want to talk about the uh, comparison between today and the 1800s on some scales, we have uh, less freedom today than we did in the 1800s, let's say uh, po- probably the economic freedom scales. Uh, but that's true in the United States, which, which was a, a, a representative democracy uh, in the 1800s, and, and so was Europe. Uh, and it wasn't like the monarchies were like, you know, getting better and better every year. The, the monarchies uh, will, uh, you know, continued to violate people's rights every year. They, 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 uh, they also accumulated uh, authoritarian uh, laws and, and rules. Again, the, the, um, the, if you talk about economic freedom, you know, the, uh, the, um, 
the entitlement state, the welfare state that was pioneered by Germany under a monarchy, by the, by the Kaiser of Germany. Uh, so uh, so the, the comparison is a little off, and, and you, you kind of have to find natural experiments, maybe like democracies and... Uh, um, and monarchies that are that are happening at the same time in, in similar circumstances. Uh, was the United States more free than Europe in the 1800s? I, th I think it was. Uh, I think there were a lot of authoritarian leaders, uh, especially late 1800s, there were a lot of authoritarian leaders uh, in, in Europe, and, um, and a, a lot of them were in European monarchies. Monarchies did not, <laughs> did, did, did not, did not, did not save them. Um, and, you know, talk about, uh, personal freedom as well. Like a lot of these monarchies are, you know, it's illegal to criticize the government or in some cases say anything good about uh, about people who are uh, enemies of the government. You know, and, and it's... Uh, it, a lot of people in this room would have a lot of problems <laughs> under that form of government. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. Uh, so, uh, secondly, I want to respond to the idea that um, a... Demo uh, a, a representative democracy is just uh, is just kind of a, a, a dictatorship that's elected every four years or every two years. Uh, I think the idea was like Chris Christie became dictator of uh, of New Jersey. Well, uh, there's another element of democracy is which you have kind of an, an elected representative body. We're talking about representative democracy after all. And so the legislature uh, usually is, is very powerful and that does provide checks and balances uh, between the, the, the monarchy, uh, the, um, the, the, the chief executive, the president or the governor uh, and, and the people. And look, no representation system is perfect. Uh, you know, for the chief executive, for the president, for the governors, you're not necessarily going to have a, a majority of people totally on, on board because you have such a diverse country. Uh, and so basically the, the important thing is that there's a competitive system that gets us to the answer. And we have a competition of ideas. And also that, um, uh, that uh, you know, in addition, the, uh, the, the franchise is kind of widely dispersed, even if, you know, people don't vote. Um, and then... Legislatures can be better or worse. I think that the New Hampshire legislature is uh, is really the best example of this. When you have 400 people who are you know who can represent the uh, people of New Hampshire very well because there are so many of them and there's so many voices and they're closest to the people, and then you have kind of a Senate which is sort of the the professional class. Um, okay, I also want to respond to One other thing, uh, which is that, uh, right, the, the Bill of Rights doesn't protect us. So it is true that there have been violations of uh, our natural rights, our constitutional rights, um, continuously throughout the operation of the, of the Republic. But I went around and asked some, you know, gun uh, rights people, uh, you know, people who, who support the rights to bear arms, and I asked them, you know, do you think that we'd have more, uh, do you think you'd be in a better position or worse position if, uh, if the constitutional uh, framers or, or Madison just decided not to include the Second Amendment? And almost all of them said, yeah, then we'd be totally screwed. So the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the Bill of Rights does get violated. There's, no, there's, no, um, there's, there's nothing uh, you know, preventing the government from violating it. They can, they do sometimes, but it is a tool that can be used to fight back and it does occasionally work and it does occasionally allow us to uh, crystallize these important principles of liberty and, and get back to it uh, from time to time. Um, so I think, 
I think, again, like you can point out all the problems that democracy has. You know, democracy doesn't always protect your rights. But if you go to Monica, you're just giving giving up all your rights to uh, to one person and whatever creatures are around him or her. And uh, and and so you're just you're just giving up entirely. Uh, and the historical record doesn't show that monarchies have these uh, are, are like bastions of, of of individual rights. And you have to kind of reach uh, up to like, well, I'm going to have one example from the 1700s of uh, of uh, of monarchy and one example from the 1900s of democracy. It, it doesn't really. I don't think those are really good comparisons. So I'll end it with that. Is that it? That's it. All right. All right. Um, yeah, good question. I'll repeat it for the mic. Um, Daniel wondered uh, or challenged my assertion that monarchs traditionally pass down their, their uh, kingdom, their reign to their heirs because they do get killed sometimes. Um, and also he said, you know, democracies have some uh, dynasties, uh, and they certainly do. We know the Sununu dynasty dictator. Sununu, his father, was was a dictator as well. So we know that's true, and I think I acknowledge that in my opening statement. Um, as as for the kings, how often do kings actually lose their life? I'm not sure. I'll have to circle back to you on that. Um, so I'll, we'll get Jemsaki in here, and we'll do some research. I don't know how many monarchs have died. I don't think it was very many, to be honest. They had soldiers um, on us lowly serfs doing their battles for them. I don't know how many of them got killed. Um, as far as career politicians, you kind of answered your own question there, I think, when you said someone like we'll take uh, Chuck Schumer, who's now the Senate Majority Leader in the United States Senate. Um, we'll take him for an example. He was a politician since, I believe, 21. He's probably 65, 70 now. Um, he was a politician at 21 he was elected to the New York State Assembly. And when I say short-sighted this, this is what I mean. He was – so they call it the State House. They call it the State Assembly. So he was in the State House in New York and at 21, 
and he never had a real job like, like Bernie Sanders. Um, he's been in government his whole life, and he did that, ruined that, did some other stuff, and then went to the U.S. Senate. So you can kind of hop from one thing to another. You know what I mean? So it's it's whereas a king is a king. That's all. He's the king of the republic. Uh, a, a career politician, yes. What they'll do is like again, Christie, U.S. attorney, then then New Jersey dictator, then running for president, now doing something else, then you know sitting on a beach making memes, and then like doing all these different things. You could have different jobs. You can ruin the city, ruin this, ruin that state, move Mitt Romney moved from Mast to Utah to wherever, and he'll ruin every state in the whole U.S. Senate. So you can move around, whereas a king doesn't really have that luxury to move to a different kingdom. Um, so I think there's a little bit of a difference there. So I, I think that would be the answer. You had a question for Max as well? Yes, yeah. Yeah, can you Okay, uh, so that question was on rational in ignorance of the voter. Uh, you know, the, the voter uh, is not uh, well informed. I, I also want to respond to the to, to the idea of you know some some of what the modern politicians are up to. But also, that's uh, you know, first of all, I just want to say, you know, the fact is, uh, representative democracy has been around for you know, thousands of years or centuries, and so I you know. When, when making your decision, uh, I would encourage you to take yourself out of this particular time. So let's get to the um, let's get to the, the the rationally ignorant voter first. So that is a problem. I think that many people don't do uh, a whole lot of research uh, on the candidates. Uh, even if you do do a lot of research on the candidates, a lot of people kind of have tribes, you know, a, a Democrat tribe or Republican tribe, and um, a lot of people actually choose based on you know what their social circle is uh, is is thinking about or, or uh, you know w w what's going to you know look good to their friends and so that is that is a big problem uh, in a democracy um, I think that ultimately what the parties have to do is that they have to, you know, find the, uh, the influencers, not, not the Instagram inst influencers, but they have to find, you know, people who are well-respected in society and try to convince them over time to change their position. And so I do think that there is kind of a, a corrective mechanism over time. It's very imperfect. It sucks. I know you just said, like, you know, uh, we're defending two very bad forms of government. Um, but, uh, but yeah, all I can say is it is a problem, uh, but the problems with democracy or the problems with monarchy are, are, are even worse because th those people just get, dis they're, you know, if they have a problem, if their rights are being violated, they, they'll, they'll just be discarded. So uh, <laughs> that's, uh, their, their, their thoughts will be discarded. So uh, that's, uh, that's my response to that. So I'm really curious about the different forms of government relationship to the real rulers, the Mandarin class. So we have Biden, for example, who is a uh, Democratic representative, uh, but obviously he doesn't actually rule, right? There is either a, a Mandarin class or a political crony class that's ruling right now. We don't see them, and yet they're ruling. Uh, similarly with a monarchy. So if you could just speak to that Mandarin class and the political uh, power. Yeah, yeah. So this was uh, so you're asking about the the real rulers, the real political power brokers, and uh, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm repeating for the for the recording. Um, and so this is actually a really interesting, uh, 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 not objection, but kind of an interesting sticking point when I was doing. Uh, uh, research for this, and that's why I mentioned the ancient Greeks because uh, you know they had these three 
or six forms of government. And I think what's really going on there is those real power brokers behind the scenes are actually uh, kind of a burgeoning oligarchy. They are kind of the ruling class that uh, the, the, this cabal, this group of people that doesn't have to care what the people think. They're going to use the state uh, to their own ends. And they can, um, they can come up in any form of government. They can come up from a, a democracy, can have an oligarchy subverting it, and a, and a monarchy could have an oligarchy subverting it. And sometimes you have uh, you know, more powerful leaders in a democracy that are actually in control, and sometimes you don't. I'm going to leave it up to you to figure out what's going on today. Uh, in a monarchy, sometimes you have kings that are really in control, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes he he looks nice on the throne, uh, or, or the queen looks nice on the throne, but uh, they're really not going not gonna to do anything uh, for you, either good or bad. It's, it's really the powers behind it. So I think it really just all comes down to the Greeks, the, um, the, 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 the fights between these forms of government that are always changing into one another. And are there things we could do about it? Uh, possibly, but I think it's like outside the scope of this debate. Who's better, the enemy you know or the enemy you don't know? With a monarch, we know he's the king. And yes, he might have a, a council of advisors, you know, senior advisor, his, his family, uh, and a few people by the throne. But it's, it's the king. You know who it is making the decisions. With a democracy, we have puppet Biden. We have any puppets. We have uh, people who are essentially functioning as oligarchs. So right now, let's say Biden is somewhat a puppet or fully a puppet. Is his dementia severe or moderate? We can argue that. But it's run, the government is run by Biden, Schumer, the Senate. Uh, the Senate Majority Leader, um, Kamala Harris, VP, and uh, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, and probably some money from Soros and BlackRock, which I think controls $10 trillion in, in total funds they control because they, they control the biggest uh, funds in the world and all the investment uh, portfolios and everything so they can move their weight around and vote their shares and, and control a lot of money and threaten to invest or divest and control the world. So there are all these dark things that are not elected and not, not even to mention the all the federal agencies, the 400 agencies, nearly all of which have their own police departments and the judiciaries, the courts that are not elected at all, and the, the lobbyists. So there's all these dark powers that have, uh, I think we all know, have a lot of power, but we don't even know who they are. We can't influence them. With a monarch, yes, you know, it, it sucks, but you know what you're getting. You know, it's a monarch. You know, him and a small council will, will make decisions. With, with this, we have, we don't know if it's Biden making decisions or is it Soros? Is it Oprah? Is it Obama? Is it someone else? Is it Zelensky? Is it the Azov Nazi battalion of Ukraine? Um, who's making the real big decisions? Is it Xi, Xi Jinping? Is it Putin? I, I've said for a long time, Xi Jinping probably controls Biden. Who knows? Um, we, we don't know who it is. So, I think the big thing is is who's better, the enemy you know or the enemy you don't know. I'd rather at least know it's a monarch. And again, he might be a good guy, might be a bad guy. With with democracy, it's it's almost 100% the bad guy. And it's just, there's, it's a way of happening. It's weird, but it's a rule of physics pretty much that the, the, the crap rises to the top. The democracy almost always finds the worst people. Trump and Clinton and Obama, think about it. These are the worst people. 340 million people and the very worst end up in the Oval Office somehow. I don't know how, but that, that's how it happens because the incentives, I think you mentioned incentives, the incentives are all effed up. With a monarch, he wants to keep either a good republic or he's a bit selfish, but usually a good republic and happy people so he doesn't lose his head, as you mentioned. Um, but also he wants to be happy, pass it on to his heirs. With the democracy, the incentives are so effed up. There's incentive for corruption because you need to be corrupt so you can get favors so you can get reelected. You need to make money so you can get millions of dollars to get reelected. You got to paint the bad guys, paint the other guys as bad guys. With the monarch, he doesn't have to worry about reelection. The incentive is 
running the nation or not, but the incentive is not to screw people and pit them against them and say, you should hate women, you should hate Jews, you should hate them, and everyone should hate each other, Republicans are going to kill you all. So the democracies actually thrive off of division. They have, to, they have to have division. Democracy literally means, you know, people voting against the other side. So you have to make Democrats to be the, the enemies, Republicans are stripping your rights. With a monarchy, monarchy essentially fosters unity, whereas democracy literally has to thrive inherently a definition of democracy has to thrive on division. So again, that's, that's another terrible reason. The incentives, I can go on for, for hours about the incentives of democracy and how much corruption there is. Monarchs don't really have need for corruption, though. A monarchy, they're, they're, I can't imagine why they would have corruption. They have all the gold they want. They can steal your gold. You know, they could do eminent domain asset forfeiture, too. But they, don't need, they don't need corruption. The, the amount of corruption that I think we all know about from, from democracy is, is just tremendous, and monarchs don't really have that. Thank you. So first, there's the, there's the question of, of division versus unity, and uh, I, I think that is part of the, of, the, uh, of the marketplace of ideas. And again, if you're just going to have unity all the time and you're not going to have a marketplace of ideas, then you've thrown out creative destruction, which, uh, which is going to lead to a stale society, and uh, it's going to lead to uh, lack of innovation, and it's going to lead to an ever-increasing ideology, uh, authoritarian ideology around the king. And to the argument of, you know, at least you know who's in charge, again, as I said before, that's not always true. That's not historically been true. Sometimes the king is controlled by, uh, by, by a deep state, not just a, a, not just a democracy. Um, and, you know, we've seen this happen again and again, where, um, where monarchs, are uh, are undermined by uh, by burgeoning oligarchies. So yeah. Any other Okay, so the question is, um, does, the, uh, does the electorate have the power of a monarch and they're going to take away people's rights? Um, is, that, is that a problem? Is it, is, it, is, it, is, it a, is it the same thing and is it immoral? Okay, uh, so first of all, I, I, often wa I wanna start with the argument, you, know, you might have heard this, that you know, democracy is um, for uh, uh, four wolves and a sheep deciding uh, what to eat for dinner. You might have heard that, and so they, they vote to eat the sheep. But actually, that's not always. That's usually not what happens. Uh, you know, what happens is, uh, you know, the, the wolves are kind of uh, debating amongst themselves how their society is going to be run, and so maybe a, a coalition of two wolves might say, "Okay, well, we won't eat the sheep. Uh, that way, we'll get, uh, you know, that way we'll get the a coalition, uh, and we'll we'll have three against two, and then um, and then we'll have a more, uh, we'll get our way more than if we." Uh, teamed up with the with the other two wolves. So, the the lesson from that is that in a democracy, there is kind of a way for voters to defend their rights, uh, even if you have to kind of uh, ally with um, 
with, uh, with uh, political organizations and, and groups that, that you might not be so happy with, um, whereas in, in a monarchy you just can't. Uh, so, and, you know, and also the, the, the checks and balances of a, um, of a chief executive and, uh, and, and the legislature, uh, a representative legislature will, will do that as well. So, of course it happens. Of course they can do it. Of course it's immoral. Of course it's wrong. Uh, but it happens in both systems, and there, at least in democracy over time, there are self-correcting mechanisms, whereas you know, a monarch can just do whatever they want. You said there are checks and balances. Even in the freest state, in the freest country, union in the world, where we have a, a representative democracy, a democratic republic, you said there are checks and balances from the legislature and you know, the three branches. We all learned the Civics 101, but it's BS. Because in practice, even in the freest state, dictator Sununu shut us down and shut out the legislature for 16 months. And what happened? Yeah. And, and, and here's what law gets, gets back to. There's no punishment. So the great constitution insofar as it is a constitutional republic, but again, it's really a democracy, almost a pure democracy, but worse, there's no punishments. So again, the laws for us have punishments, the laws for them, the constitution, the few laws that are supposed to restrain government have no punishments. So when dictator Sununu declares an emergency for corona fascism for 16 months, so it's a pretty long emergency, and says we can't have you know legislator meeting, legislators make legislation, no. I'm going to make all the rules, executive order. For those of you who don't know, for 16 months from 2020, 2021, dictator Sununu, formerly called the governor, made himself dictator, kind of like a certain guy in the middle of Europe made himself high chancellor due to emergencies of uh, Jews wrecking the country in 1930s Europe. Um, he made himself high chancellor and said, no more legislature, no more government, no more democracy. I'm going to make the rules from now on. Now, we placed a lot of pressure on him, but again, we can't punish him. We tried to impeach him. He squashed that. And, and he ruled by executive order, passed 86 executive orders or emergency orders due to the, the state of emergency. And he ruled this dictator for 16 months. He could have done it forever. Um, there's a lot of pressure on him. Thank God we have the FSP and a lot of libertarians here who put pressure on him. And after 16 months, he did not renew the state of emergency for you know another you know dozenth time. But that's, again, that currently, let's not talk about what is, you know, democracy is beautiful. We've all heard the, the shtick. But let's talk about in practice. Right here, we're in New Hampshire, the live for your die state, the freest state in the world. It probably is the freest state in this great representative democracy. But it's not free enough for me. Sorry, it's not. Because we still can have dictatorship. So we still have these oligarchs. And again, even democracy at best, even if it were democracy, it's, it is two wolves and a sheep voting for dinner. So it's three and two to one. You win the vote. Um, and that's what it is. The majority can learn, and this is what always happens in democracies, inevitably the majority or 51% or the plurality can realize they can vote to take all the property, strip all the rights and all the property and money from those who have the, the minority of voters. So those who have more, they can vote to take your money. Um, and again, in this precious, amazing, beautiful system that you're trying to defend here, and I applaud you for trying to defend you know, the worst system of government known to man, um, in this great system, we have checks and balances, the Supreme Court and three branches, legislature and, and judiciary and uh, executive. The Supreme Court of the United States ruled in Hawaii versus Midkiff in a Supreme Court case a few decades ago that it is totally acceptable for the state of Hawaii to use eminent domain to essentially take buildings, take property from people who own them to... For, for public use, and the public use was this, not to build a railroad. It was to take it to give to those who have less property, who have less money, and that's all, redistribution. And the Supreme Court ruled in Hawaii versus Medkiff, look it up, Supreme Court case, it's totally acceptable for the government to steal property from you and give it to you because you have less. Literally the definition of socialism, according to any definition, 
And the Supreme Court in this precious, amazing, beautiful system, representative democracy, republic, and uh, courts, and the court has ruled that this is okay. And I'm going to write a book one day, hopefully in a few years when I have time, of like 100 Supreme Court cases where they totally destroy our rights. Um, and the Supreme Court has ruled, and I mentioned and presumed guilty, like 80 examples where the Supreme Court said, yes, your rights are violated, and that's totally constitutional, totally okay, no problem. So that, that's what you got in your precious system with democracy and with the courts and, and the checks and balances. So the checks and balances are total BS. Thank you. I, I want to respond to that. Uh, first of all, the idea is uh, New Hampshire is not free enough for me. I agree. That's great. But we are not comparing uh, our current system, our representative democracy, uh, with the perfect system. We're comparing it with a system where we had uh, have, have, a, have a monarch or a king. Which world leaders today would have uh, who, who who would have been in a position of royalty? I mean, just look at the people who, uh, who you know who are in in line for for royalties of Europe. Who of them would have would have been against the lockdowns? Who of them would have not violated our rights uh, like they did uh, here in New Hampshire, but but especially in the rest of the country? And what happened in 2020 was inexcusable. It was it was, it was uh, you know it was a um, it, it, it was one of the worst, it was the worst violation of, of our human rights uh, in our lifetime. Um, you know, but as, uh, as, uh, as, 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 as was said, you know, the, the pressure that we posted, uh, that, we, uh, that we placed on the government uh, has reversed a lot of these, and I have a feeling that there's going to be a backlash and, uh, and uh, there will be um, structural, perhaps even constitutional changes that, that prevent this from happening again. But again, think about it. You're taking what happened in 2020 and 2021, which was absolutely terrible, and saying, okay, 400 years of history as a democratic republic in uh, New Hampshire has to go out the window. There have been a lot of terrible things that happened in those 400 years. And so uh, I, I, I fear that uh, if you draw that conclusion, you are overfitting to uh, to that one data point of two years, which is I understand why. Like we all had to live through it; that's been our lives. But um, if you actually study the 400 years of history uh, in New Hampshire as a representative democracy and the 400 years of history as monarchies elsewhere, I think uh, I think you'll find that uh, we actually are better off. Yes, the question is, do special interests take over in a democracy? And uh, uh, yes, they could. That is one of the failure modes of, of democracy. Uh, I think there are some structural things that you could have that prevent this. So for example, New Hampshire legislature, uh, the, the lower house, particularly because it has so many people uh, involved and they have such small districts, uh, you're less likely to get that to happen. There are, there are a few cases of it. Um, it uh, and... Um, what else did I want to say on that? I think that the, the, the other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, again, we're, we're doing a comparison here of democracy to monarchy. Uh, it's hard for me to, I don't really have a lot of good examples of, of special interest in, in monarchy, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there are a lot of special interests. Basically, who happens to be around the king uh, is, is, ends up being, who happens to be there uh, ends up being 
who is who is favored. So a good example of that would be uh, medieval France versus uh, medieval uh, Germany under the Holy Roman Empire, where a lot of the monarchies in the Holy Roman Empire, a lot of the states were concentrated, uh, were, were very tiny. But in France, you had one big monarchy, and all of the culture and all of the wealth in France were in the uh, in the in the capital city, uh, because you know if you're the king, if you're in the castle in the capital city, you didn't really uh, you know you and your your ruling class didn't really travel outside of that. Uh, you didn't even have a, a legislature of people coming in from outside of that. So you know they're they're also going to ignore a lot of people. So again, the the um, the special interest is a failure mode of democracy. I think there are ways to fix that within the democratic system, and it's also not, uh, uh, monarchies are not immune to it. Yeah, great question. Scott asked, um, isn't there an incentive in monarchy to keep, just like a democracy, to keep the uh, peasants down, keep them in their class, and and kind of prevent them from, from rising through the ranks and uh, class mobility and, and becoming more wealthy? Yeah, I, I think that's probably an issue that's present in, in all forms of government, certainly uh, representative democracy and monarchy. I, I think, you know, we can address the, the the Laffer curve and overall productivity and, and the best policies for you know taxing the Laffer curve is pretty much the, the, the perfect tax rate. If you tax them too much, they're going to go to a different country or outsource or produce less or just work less hard. If you tax too little, the government will make less revenue. So there's a sweet spot, maybe around 20%, whatever. Um, and, and democracies do that. So what we currently have, which is a democratic oligarchy, I think we all agree on that definition. We have a democratic oligarchy now. They kind of do that, but they don't have great incentive, especially now with the, with the green envirofascism. It's all about the environment and not about humanity. Um, they, they weirdly don't have an incentive to even let us have economic prosperity. Uh, China, the CCP, which is socialist, but they're smart. They're allowing economic freedom to lift people up and they take a lot of taxes, but they let them have economic freedom to run their businesses. The U.S. politicians are a little dumber, um, so they kind of have a lot of economic restrictions and taxes. So it does make us less prosperous. Whereas a monarch, they do also have similar taxes. So you have, I don't know if it's called taxes, it was called, you know, whatever uh, duties to the king. Um, you have to give a certain amount of gold or whatever every month. They So they also have that incentive to let them be prosperous. Um, and the reason why I could argue that they have a better incentive than a democratic oligarchy like we have now is, again, they're going to pass it to their son. Whereas here we have a bit of dynasties, but it's mostly politicians who are short-sighted out for themselves, and they don't really care quite as much as the monarch to pass a great, prosperous, uh, healthy, prosperous economy for their kids.
That's a great question. He asked, what would I have been happier with our, our current government in, if I were alive in 1890 in the United States? Um, yes, and no, I, I do think overall we had less freedom. That was before 1930, so we had zero gun laws. We had the gold standard, no Federal Reserve. We had you know, way less government power, especially with the technology of spying and surveillance. So overall, would I be happier? Probably. Would I still be a voluntarist? I don't know. And what's interesting is that Cuomo and de Blasio pushed me to become a voluntarist. I was just a regular conservative, and they pushed me. So would I have gotten that push to go from kind of liberty conservative to voluntarist or or pretty apolitical? I don't know. But overall, yes, I do think – it's hard to say, but probably I'd be a little happier because we have more freedom. Like I said, freedom, it's only a one-way decline. In my books, at the end of every chapter, I have a, a graph, and it shows declining freedom, economic freedom, educational freedom, tax freedom, gun freedom. It's always declining. It's always going down. So in 1890, we had more freedom than we have now. Now we have more freedom than we'll have in 2025, and it's always going down. So yeah, good question, interesting uh, thought experiment. I do think I would have been happier. I think we had more freedom in 1890. So, I mean, you know, to the argument that uh, representative democracy is preventing us from having economic prosperity, you're going to have to ask, why did we ever have economic prosperity? Again, this, you know, the United States is a really good example. We've had representative democracy. We've had periods of incredible prosperity. Uh, and all of those periods were under uh, a, a representative democracy. Uh, so... Uh, so you'd have to account for that. Um, I, I think that the idea, I think that uh, the monetary system accounted for that quite a bit, and the culture accounted for that quite a bit. And so I, I think that um, I, I think that the monetary system today is causing our problems with uh, with fiscal irresponsibility. Uh, this country was actually uh, a very fiscally conservative, uh, you know, fiscally responsible gov uh, government uh, all the way through the, the, you know, the, the 19th century, uh, much of the 20th century. It really has only been in recent decades uh, since the, uh, the, the debt and, and such has gotten out of control, the spending has gotten out of control. Uh, so, um, so, so, so there's, there's that thing to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah number one. Yeah. Okay. So the question is, don't you not have any freedoms at all under a under a democracy? And I think a lot of the examples that you gave are from 2022 America. So again, look at the whole history. But I also want to uh, talk about the uh, the. Uh, ha uh, the, the the history of of monarchies. You know, I was listening to uh, you know Curtis Yarvin, who's a, who's a big monarchist, and he's like, "Look, you're all arguing against Stalin as the dictatorship," and I'm like, "No, you know, sometimes they're just like Henry VIII." And I looked it up, but Henry VIII he put fifty thousand people to death, including some of his wives. You think they got due process? You think there were any consequences to him? No. So at least in democracy, we're definitely going to have a, a backlash to a lot of these things. 
Just answer real quick. And I'll say it in five seconds. Dan Daniel is right. He asked, do we have any more freedom? No, in both a monarchy, and this was where we're equal. I'm not better. We're equal here. A monarchy and representative democracy, oligarchy, every form of government, you only have the freedom they allow you to have. Right now, dictator Biden and Sununu allow me to have some free speech and some gun rights. Yeah, I can carry a SIG, but only because they allow me. It's at their pleasure. Same with monarchy, democracy. It's all the same. A democracy, a monarchy, some kings might allow you to keep some of your property and have rights. Some might not, but it's totally even. I agree. It's a great question. Totally even. Only what they allow us to have, the dictators, all the kings, all governments, and this is every government, um, except maybe one voluntary is dream where there's no government, all systems of government only allow the people to have the freedoms that they allow them to have. We only exist and have any freedom at their pleasure. They can take it away in a snap in every system. Let's just admit it. We have no freedom besides what they allow us to have. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Again, it's hard to say. I'll have to be the Jen and circle back. Um, in a monarchy, how do you gain more rights and more liberties is what he asked. It's an interesting question. I don't know. Is there as much uh, class mobility and income mobility in a monarchy as a representative democracy? That's a point I'll give him probably less. There's probably less mobility in, in a monarchy if it has, you know— an aristocratic class kind of system, like a, a caste system. I don't know. That depends on the specific monarchy. Obviously, if it were, you know, we could take an example of a nice king or mean kings, a nice democracy or a mean democracy. But like I was saying, the incentives to democracy is to tend towards becoming more uh, vicious tyrants, whereas a monarch, it's not quite the same. It's more even, more stable, whereas demo democracies are inherently volatile and divisive. Um, yeah, obviously, in, in my ideal situation will be a king who's nice who allows for you know free markets and class mobility um that may not be the case with every king in history i, I would grant that um but but there could be some mobility but yes maybe not a ton of mobility and and a representative democracy might technically have more class mobility than a monarchy would have so i'll give you a point so you're welcome so i'm i'm actually going to uh, agree with some of this i think that um you know, again, going back to ancient Greek philosophy, all of these governments start to degrade over time, and you start to lose rights over time, and it's kind of unclear how to win them back. You know, there is a mechanism uh, under democracy to do that. Uh, there have been a few instances in the United States where we've done that. You know, uh, slavery has been abolished. There have been a few cases where uh, you know we've strengthened uh, a freedom of speech and that sort of thing, and we've lost it a little bit recently. Maybe we'll get it back, uh, but. Um, uh, you know, over time, these forms of government can get worse and worse. I mean, another example that, that I had that, that I didn't get to was, uh, you know, even among the few, uh, you know, good rulers, good kings, and, and if you look at the historical record, it doesn't seem like there are many of them, but, like, you know, they, they often end up passing on the, the, the kingdom to, uh, to someone who, who, who's not so great. 
Uh, so they don't really keep their, their, uh, I, maybe, maybe being a good ruler is not the same as being a good parent. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, the, the famous example is, is Marcus Aurelius, who was emperor of the, of the Roman emperor, emperor. He's considered, you know, one of the, one of the decent rulers of the Roman empire. There weren't many. And, uh, and he was like a philosopher king. And then his son was an absolute lunatic. Uh, so, uh, that, uh, that, that happens a lot in, in monarchy. Uh, and, um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know the solution to it, other than uh, other than got to keep fighting and wait for the next regime. Yeah, I think that's a great point. What what Rasan mentioned is, if we were to you know rebel and get our rights back because we're being uh, violated by tyrants, would it be better or you know easier to rebel against a monarch or a democratic republic? And I think she said it might be easier for a king. And I think one of the reasons why is when when people all decide to unite and uh, rebel against the king. It essentially will be, I know there is a caste system, but it'll be all the peasant class, all the lower, maybe middle class, which is around 99% of the people. They'll all rebel, and they will and they will defeat the monarch. In a democracy like we have now where it's split, let's say it's 50-50 and there are other parties, but let's say red and blue, at best, will get all the reds or all the blues, which is at best 50%. So you're working with, at best, 50% rule or bell. It's usually, it'll probably be more like 1%, but even at best, it's one party, and one party lo- always loves those in power. And again, this is the divide and conquer, and that's why the next book will be They Fear Unity. It'll be about divide and conquer. It'll be, but yeah, I just finished the draft already, so I'm working on it. It'll be about how they divide and conquer us based on all these different things, red and blue and man and woman, old and young and black and white and rich and poor. They divide us and they keep us against each other. And again, divide and conquer, it's the, you know, the oldest mantra in, in the book of, of how to rule over people and violate their rights. So yeah, that, that's a great point. You're right. Against the king, yeah, it's hard. He's a king and their men have, have the guns, but so does the government here. But at least you can potentially, the, the potential max ceiling is 99% of the people in the republic, whereas in a democracy, the max you're looking at is around 50%, because 50% are always going to love those in power because of the false notion of controlling the government. Thank you. So uh, you said you'd rather rise up against uh, a king than, than rise up in a, in a democracy. Uh, I just want to point out, like, if you actually lived in a monarchy and rose up against the king, things are probably not going to work out very well for you. Uh, you know, we often idealize the, the American Revolution, but, uh, you know, remember the people who, who were starting that fight, uh, you know, many of them thought that, uh, you know, that, that they, were, they were going to be killed by the king. You know, the, uh, the monarchy uh, in, in Great Britain, you know, said anyone who, uh, you know, anyone who, who, who is, is treasonous against the king is going to be put to death. And they meant it be- because... That's what they did to other people who rose up against them over and over again. And so, and then what are you going to replace the king with? You'd have to replace him with another king if, if, that's, what you, if that's what you like. So then that's just going to cause another one of these wars of succession, which we've seen over and over again. There are, you know, so many, so many examples of wars of succession. We have, I mean, I'll just, 
I'll just read off of some of the War of Spanish Succession, 400,000 dead. Franco-Prussian War was a war of succession in the 1870s, nearly a million dead, 100,000 civilian. Jacobite uprisings in 18th century Britain. 100 Years War lasted 100 years because people were uh, deciding on, on who was going to be their king. War of the Roses, the list is so long, over a dozen in Europe, like every decade. Uh, so it's... Uh, so if you're going to rise up against a king, I mean, okay, you might be like, okay, I'll establish a democracy, but then I kind of win. Or you could say, well, I'll rise up against a king and establish another king, and then you get one of these horrible wars, which is what actually happened, and you'll probably all be killed and die very horrible deaths, which is uh, <laughs> what historically happened. Thank you, Max. I, the last thing he mentioned, I'll respond to because he said there are wars of succession, not to be confused with secession. Um, I heard people I, pronounce it, by the way. The almost everyone does, by the way. 90% of people. Um, I, I would say democratic elections could be disputed. For instance, 2020, a lot of people, including myself, do think that there were a lot of issues um, for fear of being banned off of the world. A lot of issues. And I've written articles of explaining with some evidence Massive amounts of issues and reason, reasons, I believe, that the election in all the swing states was very fraudulent. But also 2016, there were a lot of disputes. Also 2000, there's a big Supreme Court case about it, um, and everyone's still upset. Both sides are bitter. But also in, I think, 2016 or who knows when, um, in Georgia, the, the lady down there in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, still thinks that she won that election. Um, so, so there are disputes. Also other great democracies that I'm sure you love, like Venezuela, they voted, and it's still a crap show over there, right, between um, – the dictator uh, Guaico and and whoever the other dictator is, I don't care. Um, there's a dispute because half the people say we voted for him, half of them say it's him. Um, there was another vote, another great democracy. Um, I'm sure uh, people who love democracy love uh, Ukraine and Russia, all these great bastions of freedom. With yeah, they have democracies um, where. Ukraine and the whole West and pretty much everyone, because everyone supports Ukraine, they said that the votes in the, the eastern oblasts of uh, LPR and DPR, those areas were all BS because they voted 99% for Russia. Yeah, guess what? They speak Russian. 99% do identify as Russia. They have big – I love Stalin. I love Russia statues there. They, they identify as Russian. Um, so that's what they wanted. But everyone disputes those elections. So so I don't think it would be fair to say that, that – uh, monarchies have issues with succession and democracies don't. I think they both have some issues, to be honest. Um, I think the main point that I, I want to get out in the closing statement is a democracy really is not a vote of the people. It does not represent the people. I, I only touched on one of the reasons of a big article on Liberty Block that explains like seven massive reasons. I mentioned that a democracy is not 51%. You know, we learn in school, um, or when we're babies and we watch Schoolhouse Rock, it's 51% of the vote, whatever, majority. It's not. I explain how it gets down to closer to 3% of the registered voters, meaning of all the people, including adults and, you know, minors who can't vote, because 17-year-olds in this world apparently, you know, can't vote even though they pay taxes. So there's more representation, you know, taxation without representation. Um, so they, they can't vote. They're 17, but they pay taxes. Um, but forgetting all those, just the registered voters, adults who registered to vote, um, only about 3% vote for, for uh those who end up becoming the dictator or president. So that's another issue. I touched on that, but the bigger issues are federal agencies, which I think I touched on as well. We have 400 federal agencies, 4 million federal bureaucrats running around the United States violating our rights every day with, again, they have military type of weapons, and um, you pay for their weapons, and they use those weapons to abuse me. So again, it's a great system. Uh, the third is the court. The judici judiciary is not elected um, on the federal level. It's appointed by the president and the Senate 
almost always confirms. Um, four is lobbyists. Another reason we're not represented by the, by this great democracy that that some people here seem to support. Um, the lobbyists can legally, and I learned this when I worked on a congressional campaign back in the Communist Republic of New York. Lobbying and and bribery is really legal. It's literally legal for a person, you know, from a, a big firm to give money to a candidate or an elected politician, as long as he doesn't literally say, "I'm giving this to you so that you vote my way on that bill." If he just gives them money, you're allowed to donate, and it happens all the time, and it is what it is. In fact, I don't even know if I would support uh, restricting that because it's a First Amendment issue, as we saw with Citizens United. Citizens United, it's a tough issue. Um, First Amendment probably trumps that, but again, you can't stop bribery. You never will unless you go to a, a full monarchy, which you know maybe we are going towards tonight. So uh, another big reason is. Is UN and globalism? You know, the, the it's really weird. It's hard to find um, real good information on this. But the federal government has essentially signed some treaties. You know, the Paris Climate Accord under uh, Obama and on other big treaties, climate arms treaties, all that stuff of essentially binding the United States government. And there was a Supreme Court case that also involved this with cruel and unusual punishment. And one of the things, one of the, the reasonings that they used in the arguments in the Supreme Court a few years ago um, was was international law kind of recognizes this. They, they don't, you know, put certain people to death and therefore the Supreme Court should recognize international law. So again, there's a lot of globalism going on that I'm sure we've all talked about. And my friend Alex Jones, before he got bankrupted, talked about globalism a lot. So Another big reason is voter integrity. I, you know, I could talk for hours about voter integrity and how little I trust it. Um, and there was another big one here, I think. Oh, yeah, incumbent advantage. So, so you know, there was a lot of debate about whether or not you support, you should support um, uh, term limits. And I was going back and forth saying, well, we do have term limits. It's called an election every two years. Haha, you could vote them out. But not really, because the incumbents have tremendous advantage. Not just if you look at the data on polling, incumbents do better because they have name recognition. They're already in office. They have experience. So voters think they have good experience already. They know the job. They have an advantage. Literally, they can use, I believe it's $100,000, at least it was a few years ago before this uh, horrible by inflation, $100,000 a few years ago that they could use of public funds towards their re-election campaign. I don't know if you guys knew that. So again, that's a, a very simple, concrete advantage incumbents have. So thank you. I'll, I'll only need like another 17,000 hours to get done what I have here. Um, so, so they have all these built-in tremendous advantages, and obviously not to mention like the, you know the spying that Obama did on, on Trump, and you could spy on your opponent when you're in office. So I think... You also mentioned um, in a monarchy, you can't really uh, do much to, to petition for your rights. You can circulate petitions, get a few signatures, and, and uh, hand it up to your king and say you want certain rights. And he'll respect it about as much as our current elected officials respect our petitions, right? So not very much. They'll, they'll file it in the, the circular filing bin in the corner over there. That's where they'll put it. So I think in closing, what, what I, would, I didn't even get a chance to get to nearly – my all my arguments. I think someone touched on Brian Kaplan mentioned the myth of the rational voter. Voters do not decide what's rational. If you read the book, anyone I think would be convinced to oppose democracy. Voters, there's a, there's a myth that voters kind of you know some are wrong to the right, some are wrong to the left, and overall they have you know crowdsourced good information. That's wrong because there are misconceptions that are more common. Um, but I, I guess in closing, literally just think about, and I keep saying this, think about the. The monarchy that controlled us 240 years ago and how much freedom we had, our great-great-grandfather in 1770, let's say George Washington was your great-grandfather, um, how much freedom he had versus now. I don't think there's much dispute that he had more freedom. So the same system, I know we're trying to compare apples to apples, the same system under a monarchy, we had, let's say, this much freedom, 99%. With very little taxes, and now we have this much freedom, like four percent, with like you know fifty percent taxes and diminishing freedom every day. So if you just compare those, think about what we currently have in our system—an illusion of choice, an illusion of freedom and democracy, and the will of the people controlling the government—versus what we had in a monarchy, which at least could be better. But I think this current train we're on can't get worse. So I, I would at least hope for a decent king or even a crappy king, because it wouldn't be as bad as this terrible tyranny we have now going to hell. Thank you very much.
right, thanks. All right, so first of all, I, I just want to respond to election disputes. You know, election disputes can be rough. There have been uh, several, quite a few election disputes in American history, uh, but none of them led to a civil war. The, the civil war in U.S. history was actually not an election dispute. So I'd much rather be in, a, in a, an election dispute uh, than a war over who the rightful uh, monarch is. So if you're still not persuaded against the resolution, uh, well, if, you, if, you're, if you're persuaded against the resolution, I encourage you to vote. If you're still not persuaded against the resolution, might I suggest instead of voting, just let's rely on a king instead. Uh, and if you don't go along with me, I'll have your head. <laughs> All right, so let's review. We've had nearly 400 years of democratic institutions in New England and in New Hampshire. And during that time, it went from a, a backwater to one of the highest standards of living in the world. There are many factors behind this, but it's clear that democracy, uh, representative democracy, and democratic culture, at least did not screw it up. The theory behind monarchy, like the theory behind communism, might sound convincing to some, but when put into practice, when you actually have to live in one, many flaws are revealed. Wars of succession, command economies, concentration of culture and wealth in the capital, bad strategic decisions over time, instability, and stale political institutions and strategies because of a lack of creative destruction. We've seen this play out in practice, and I have examples for each one. I've given examples for each one. Democracy also has its failings, uh, and I, I know this audience knows it well, uh, but it's more dynamic and able to self-correct, and it often goes hand-in-hand -hand with a culture of individual rights and allowance of uh, diverse viewpoints. In addition to modern examples where democracies are correlated with high standards of living, we have examples stretching back to ancient times of successful democracies. Uh, a successful democracy is difficult to attain, but it seems to have been chosen by places that have built up a, a large amount of cultural and physical capital to manage. So the resolution states that monarchy is better. I think that representative democracy edges out democracy. It's a little better, but at least you can see that the historical record and trade-offs are inconclusive, and, and in that case, the resolution is false. Now, many of you here are members of the Free State Project, where the idea is to get thousands of freedom-loving people to move to New Hampshire, which is already the freest state in the country, and to make it truly free and the envy of the world. This movement has had some successes already, and many of those successes have been through the legislature, especially the state house, uh, in the most democratic in the nation with 400 members. What is your free state project strategy under a monarchy? All I could say is good luck with that. <laughs> so you might agree with George Washington when he said, government is not reason, it is not eloquence, it is force. Like fire, it is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. Your enfranchisement is a slice of that force that can be used for personal self-defense. Even if you don't use it directly by voting and participating, you still benefit from it, just like the right to bear arms helps the pacifist and the freedom of religion helps the agnostic. If we're going to have a state, someone is going to have access to this powerful weapon. And if not you, someone else, and it will be used against those who don't have it. Give up your enfranchisement at your own peril. So for those reasons, I encourage you to vote no on the resolution. All right. All right. Can, what's that? Yeah. If I could have everybody's attention, the votes are tallied. So I'll, re I'll remind everybody what the votes were earlier. Um, 
Agree and disagree, we're even at 31.6. The undecided, we're at 36.8. After the, tonight's debate, with an increase in their total of 20 to up to 29, uh, up to 61.1 percent, a total increase of 29.5 percent. The winner of tonight's debate, Max, with disagree. All right. I uh, I didn't want to give away the end at the beginning, but on the plus side, as you can see, yes, I did convince a large portion of the group. Uh, still, I didn't feel like I was winning throughout the debate. <laughs> I didn't feel like I was winning when I was up there. And uh, it definitely forced me to think more deeply about certain issues. And that's, you know, that's, I think, why we do it. That's, that's the benefit of doing it. Would I do it again? I would do it again, but probably not anytime soon because it was so difficult. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was a lot of work. So uh, props to Alu, who was willing to publicly take the more dangerous position and defend it forcefully. Next week, if we don't move things around, I want to do a look back on Hurricane Sandy if Aaron's available. We're going to follow up on this debate. And also, I recently submitted a 30-page manuscript to the Journal of Theoretical Probability. So... Um, I know it'll be a few weeks before I hear anything back, but uh, maybe we'll follow up on, on that, what I have to say on that, because that's, that's one of the big projects I've been doing the last few months. All right. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.